Well, here we are, attempt number three at recording an episode about abortion. And the context has shifted a bit since we recorded yeah. the shelved one and two episodes, um, which I do want to point out was, was maybe entirely or at least much more my decision to shelve based on some feedback and based on my own journey, learning about this and, and just fine tuning my own perspectives about this. And who am I, you might ask? I am Andy Swindler. And I am Brendan McNamara. And today we're asking the question on Totally Classic, is abortion ethical? Yes. And we're gonna question that question in many questionable ways. <laughs> and what's shifted since then? Uh, well, we already had the leaked uh, version of the Supreme Court decision. when So yeah. I think we all kind of felt this was um, on its way. <laughs> but since then, of course, the official decision has come down to overturn Roe v. Wade from the Supreme Court. And um, which uh, I don't know that it's shifted too much about our discussion, uh, but it's certainly flooded the world and the internet with all kinds of opinions and memes and all the things. Uh, oh, so much, all the things. I know as I've been paying attention to the news, it is around, I think, a two to three week uh, lifespan on every headline of umbrage. <laughs> and it was, I feel like it was like, oh, it's due to come back around. You know, I think it was the leak and then that was a pretty big deal. And then school shooting and gun control became the, the umbrage thing. And then that lasted about three, four weeks. And then, and it was time to, sometimes it's callback. Sometimes you just return to an oldie, an oldie, but goodie. Uh, so happily we're recording this, I think a full week or so outside of that uh, initial hot rush of umbrage that the dropping of the decision uh, oh, and, engendered. And I have a feeling the Supreme Court is going to be like playing a top 40 list here for the next several months. So we... yeah, they might, they might know they, <clears throat> well, I mean, I think that Supreme Court kind of always fulfills that role socially for the U.S. kind of highlighting, uh, at least when we pay attention, right? Um, a lot of these uh, third real issues, which speaks to what we're doing here on Totally Classic, which is engaging in the classic uh, art of conversation in order to uh, no longer divide and resist the rise of encouraged tribalism, which seems to suggest that there are certain things that cannot be discussed. There are certain things that um, if you step out of line with the, the heterodoxy, then you are verboten. Um, and I think we both deny that, that, um, that Congress uh, of conversation and seeking understanding through curiosity is actually of, of paramount importance to the human project. So, and, we, and we've got this, this advantage that we love each other. Yeah. And, and maybe that's actually a good segue. Uh, and, you know, where I think a lot of our beliefs and desires for, for humanity and for ourselves are compatible the mm -hmm. big difference is on the how uh the how we get there <laughs> the, yeah. maybe even the where we are and the how we get there um so we thought we would start today by sharing a bit about our personal not as we'll get into our personal beliefs and research <clears throat> uh, about abortion but 
starting with why why do we even care why why does this matter to us yeah would you like to go first sure yeah this is uh discussing abortion has uh never been a forbidden topic in my um in my wheelhouse or purview um i am in the pro-life community i would be termed uh, an abolitionist there's a bit of a schism for those of you who may not know uh, in the quote unquote pro-life community. Uh, there are those who uh, lean towards incrementalism really to, I would say, to a nearly exclusive intention as towards such. Uh, and then there are a host of folks who abolition of abortion is the, is the stated specific and uh, solely pursued goal. So this would be the difference between "Quote unquote pro-life," uh, you know, legislation that would be supported or offered that would be like, "Well, we're limiting," you know, uh, we're going to get it from twenty-seven weeks down to twenty-four weeks, and then from maybe from twenty-four to twenty-one, and then we're going to have exceptions, but we're going to limit our exceptions. You know, it's all about this incremental chewing away thing. Um, but in the abortion world, in the pro-life world, uh, ab abolitionists um, have sort of stated their, this, this has always been the strain of thought, but stated their case as a sort of wanting to be very separate from what is seen as the sort of more political machined pro-life movement, which it's, uh, eschews abolition, pursues incrementalism. Abolitionists pursue abolition, uh, eschewing incrementalism. So um, why do I care about that? Uh, well, I've cared about it since I was a pretty small child, since it was, I think it was 12 or 13, I asked for my birthday for uh, the bus ticket uh, to be able to go to attend the Right to Life rally in Washington, D.C. It's my first, uh, like, genuine sort of, like, I don't know, independent political uh, act activist moment as a kid. And the reason then and now uh, is of it was great concern to me, um, to simplify it, was um, babies are being murdered. So my resist, I uh, am a little obsessed with justice. Um, it, and I would say even more obsessed with injustice or naked injustices. And my desire is always to um, see a bully uh, put down. Um, and for the least amount of harm to transpire from any attempts to correct any of society's ills. Um, so in the, I was like myself as an abolitionist, um, you know, I would absolutely include the legalization of abortion as the singular, uh, gold medal, most egregious sort of, uh, what's the word national sin of the, uh, American experiment. And I would, I, it's certainly in the contention for the, for the whole, the entire, the world entire. Um, so I think, so that therefore, uh, injustice is involved. Uh, protection of as many lives as possible um, speak. And also there's a biblical framework uh, for also the advocacy there, meaning uh, A, of course, the biblical basis for the value of any human life. Um, but also there's, there's an exhortation throughout scripture to lift up your voice for the voiceless, um, in, especially in societies. That would be those who have no voice by dint of their poverty or by dint of their inability to speak the language in the place that they now dwell. Um, or the unborn are probably most uh, prevalently in our modern age highlighted as such as they literally um, do not do not yet <laughs> uh, have the capacity to speak for speech as far as we know. 
but yeah, harm. So, or you can even look at it and just slam all that in harm reduction. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Yeah, there's there's really an astonishing a number of similarities, broadly speaking and philosophically speaking. Um, and we've had other episodes about uh, well, racism, <clears throat> the pandemic, and and the vaccines and racism were, were a lot of what kicked all of this off. And yeah. um, you know, I also use the term abolitionist. Uh, and and that I it's new to me that that was is being used in the pro life uh, world has been for I think you said a couple of decades. Yeah. When I use it, I'm I'm usually talking about prisons, and uh, I won't launch into that. But you know, we've got like 2.7 million people incarcerated in this country, and so I often look to that as as our greatest sin, if you will, or, or the greatest um, injustice uh, that's that's affecting so many families and so many lives. Yeah. Um, and similarly, not really settling for incrementalism. Like, yeah. like, no, let's not take baby steps. <laughs> like, let's actually get rid of the <laughs> Yeah, let's, let's make less profit on prison slave labor. No, 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 I want none. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but affirming life, uh, standing up for, uh, you know, using my power and privilege in whatever way I can to stand up for injustice, to, to, raise up, lift up voices that have uh, less access or, or not at all. So I think there's, those are some similarities certainly in yeah. our broader philosophies and our broader, um, yeah, yeah. What, why do we care? Why do we care about human life? Um, and for me with abortion specifically, well, and, and, and with a number of things I think that we're unpacking together, you know, realizing I, I had settled for a lot of inherited views um, mm -hmm. from a, my family system, which I think is a very common concept. Um, Absolutely. And certainly being pro-choice was one of those. Um, I have not shifted from that, but what I've done through these conversations is uh, develop more of my own perspective about it. Why, 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 why do I believe that? And yeah. it's been very valuable for me to go deeper to reinforce that. Um, we talked about this in, <laughs> we, we didn't post those two episodes, but we did a feedback episode. And, and in that we talked anonymously, you know, about some of the feedback we got. And it's, it is troubling to me that there's a, there, I, like, like you were saying, like in the tribal sense, there's a, a, a bit of like, don't, don't even, don't give them an inch. Don't give them a platform. Don't even have this discussion. It's just it's obvious. Yeah, it's, it's locked up. It's offensive to to even talk about it as though it could be anything other than what what this one side believes. And, sure. Uh, yeah. I I don't think that's the way. I don't think that's the answer, and I think that's why we're here. Yeah, so, yeah. I think it's the opposite of the answer. I think I think it's the only way to not find an answer. Sadly. And that's been frustrating. And this, I'll try, I'll just speak to this because I think this might fuel. Uh, I just took a week off social media. So that helped before this conversation. Uh, but the week previous, this is, it has been especially uh, inflammatory to myself uh, to witness, I think, the presentation of many arguments that I look at as almost irrelevant, which we'll talk through here. Um, but also this, this adamant declaration that if you don't agree with me, you don't care. 
That's been a very popular thing I've noticed, especially over the past couple of years, that if you don't agree with the how, then you don't even really care about the what. And the cool thing about us sharing our what's is you can see, that, again, the how, all, all sorts of different in some ways, um, also some similarities, but the what is actually astonishingly similar. And I think that's very frequently the case and it is professed to be opposite. And it has been inflammatory and frustrating to me over the past couple of years, especially and over the past couple of weeks, specifically as related to this, that those who uh, I think would even self-identify as liberal have been the most illiberal people when it comes to third real issues generally or abortion specifically. And that's been very frustrating, very frustrating to me because that is, uh, the majority of people who are in my life. <laughs> so then it's frustrating to be like, I feel like I'm surrounded by people who are like, you can't think or talk about thinking about anything other than this. This is the decision we have made. It's very, um, I guess it's just so phenomenally religious in all the most rigid ways, which I have uh, largely found most people in my life to be derisive of. And now that they're engaging in it, it's been very difficult. And the, and the crazy thing to me is to recognize, I think a uh, cognitive dissonance thing I had to push through over the past couple of years is that those, uh, is that I'll just say it the simplest way possible. Uh, Republicans presently are more liberal generally than Democrats who I know. Meaning uh, it seems like Republicans will talk to straight up anybody. And now it seems even Democrats who will talk to, or independents or whatever, who will talk to straight up anybody uh, are then termed right wing. And not just on Twitter or social media or whatever, but in newspaper headlines and magazine headlines or whatever. So for somehow, somehow at some point, like freedom or freedom of speech or having conversations with people you disagree with has become a right wing thing, or maybe it always was. I mean, I, again, I'm not that politically savvy. Um, but that's been a very interesting aspect that I would love people to notice. Um, and just like you were talking about, put it in a framework. We got to at least put that in a framework and go, okay, that's what's happening over there. I think people are allowed to have very vibrantly religious uh, posturings such as that. Um, I wouldn't rob them of that ability to do so, but I don't think it's helpful. <laughs> and when you say religious, you don't necessarily mean of a church. Like, like you mean the religion of, of, of a, of or, a yeah. belief. Yeah, of orthodoxy. Yeah, basically, if you excommunicate people for spouting anything op opposite, some sort of heterodox um, or sort of homodox, whatever, orthodoxy, um, then that, yeah, you are certainly engaging. You're acting as on a religious basis. Yeah, is what I mean. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's the, certainly one of the, the, the tropes um, it, against pro-life is that it's all just super right-wing christian you know just put into this huge bucket like yeah that's, that's the only reason right right yeah are, which is fascinating which but let's i mean to briefly address that there is an aspect of that that is true meaning we we require uh and we've been talking about this via text actually in adjacent fashion we require uh a religious framework in order to engage with human beings as valuable. There's no purely pragmatic way to recognize human beings as valuable, except as perhaps in the prison industrial complex. <laughs> you know what I mean? A prisoner is only as useful as that which he can produce. Um, I don't recognize that as very convincing uh, 
ethically. So in some ways, people are right when they're saying like the pro-life position is a religious one, but the pro-choice one is as well, because it would recognize, well, as we'll get to, but it would often highlight the, uh, you know, the principle of individual sovereignty, um, you know, the value of, of, of bodily autonomy for an individual. That's a religious, that's a religious question. Um, so then, yes, of course it is related to religion, but it's no more related to religion than murder, rape, theft, uh, school shootings, whatever, anything, anything in which we're trying to all say that human beings' lives are valuable, because that's a, essentially, that is a religious claim. So I want to give them props that at least it's half correct. <laughs> um, so there were two things that, as you were speaking, came up. One may drift into more of the, the subject. Uh, yep. But one, one that occurred to me as a framing, I, I don't think either of us are terribly interested in talking about the actual Supreme Court decision and the constitutionality of this that doesn't you know, a, come up in our discussions very much. It's it's a it's adjacent, really. I mean, I, I think that aspect of it is just so short. I, honest, I whatever uh, the notorious RBG uh, notoriously um, had decried the decision as weak anyway. So this is this is not some crazy. The court thing is just not that interesting a conversation. It's 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 tenable to include this protection under privacy, it's tenable to disinclude such a protection under interpretation of privacy. So it's not, it's like, all right, well, no, I mean, it makes legal sense. It's not shocking or strange for either, either interpretation. You know what I mean? And the constitution was, was pretty light on mentioning women at all. So um, yeah, to the extent there's a hyper literal interpretation of the constitution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and then the other piece was, um, I maybe just for clarity, and, and this, I imagine this will come up more. Is um, yep. when in your definition of abolition for abortion, are you saying there are no exceptions? Uh, there, I would say that there are statistically none exceptions. Uh, the exceptions I would include would be very similar to how we pursue uh, murder cases. Uh, that there are certainly are exceptions. Uh, murder is illegal, for example. Abortion is, in my view, just in, it's a method of mor or murder. That's it. It's just a, it's a it's a means. It's like hang. It's like talking about hanging or the electric chair or whatever. Um, so there are obviously exceptions where people murder people, and they do indeed quote unquote get away with it, as it is determined. Well, you kind of had quote unquote no other choice. Um, mm -hmm. There are statistically, I would say, those statistically are minimal to the point at, of at no way would I be like, well, we're going to have this murder law where you can't murder people, but we're going to make sure to include a bunch of exceptions in that murder law. I would not be wildly interested in exceptions. Um, I think um, the the more traditional uh, exception uh, in the abolition movement would be uh, where, the, where the life of the mother is, is threatened. Like literally someone's going to die right now. And if we kill this person, then this person lives. Uh, and, that's, and that is how it's functionally playing out uh, state by state at the moment as well, uh, that there are uh, exceptions for life of a mother. And that would, could, because there are, have already, there's already concern about confusion as to the laws as like, oh, well, wait, will they consider this thing that isn't abortion, abortion, and blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of rhetoric around that we don't need to run down on. But uh, there has to, I would say legally, I, I would suggest there would have to be an exception of something in in the realm of that language, much as we have self-defense defenses for homicide. 
um, also to allow leeway for uh, treatment for ectopic pregnancy, which is not an abortion, but uh, according to Planned Parenthood anyway, it's, it's not the same uh, procedure as an abortion, um, things like that. Like we still have to be able to attend to um, things that might use some of the same uh, chemicals, the same little pills or whatever, um, as well as the DNC procedure, um, that sort of thing. Uh, but yes, but generally it would be as, as abolished as all other forms of murder would be my general thesis. And then wait, what rape and incest? Rape and incest, absolutely not an exception, no. Okay. No. Although I do believe uh, rape should be uh, capital punishment crime. I'm totally, totally open to that. So I'm not opposed. To, I'm not opposed to ethical murder, which is kind of part of the uh, why I think that's a tenable argument that we should be having in public. Like the whole public should be talking about like is abortion ethical? Is it ethical murder? Like therefore, is it killing? Uh, I believe capital punishment is killing. I believe war, for example, is killing. Anyway, that's just a, a semantic thing that might be helpful for people when they hear me use different words, and I might even slip up and use the wrong word at the wrong time, but. I would use the word murder and killing as two different things. And yes, the basis for that would be legal, but it also for me would be scriptural, meaning in the 10 commandments, uh, it says thou shalt not murder. Uh, and it does not say, for example, thou shalt not kill because it would be immediately contradictory because the entire law of God is filled with various and sundry capital offenses. And you're like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> don't kill, but then if you kill, you get killed. Hold on a second, <laughs> that don't make no sense. Um, well, I, did, I didn't make it past Genesis because I perceived a number of contradictions. But yeah. that's, that's a conversation <laughs> for another day. Yeah, and to be clear, yeah, uh, I I know that that term uh, murder will be triggering to some, and so we did decide that the official question for today is: is abortion ethical? Yeah, um, and and your position is clear. I absolutely believe that. Uh, it, it is an egregious act to to um, force uh, somebody who has been uh, the victim of rape or incest to carry that to carry that child to term. Mm -hmm. um, to be clear, um, and yeah, let's uh, let's go into we did we did attempt for the first time ever to build an outline for today. Yeah. This subject was big enough and challenging enough uh, to maybe just not freeform it. So let's go into that. Um, yeah. The first one. Wait, unless did you want to read the last thing in before we go? No, no. I would just, um, yeah, I would say, so our attempt to approach is to, one of the first things I thought would be helpful, and I've compiled uh, a bunch of these, and I, Andy, I don't know if you've added any to the list, but um, feel free to, obviously, as we speak through it, is actually, let's, first things first, I thought the most helpful thing to offer the world would be, let's go through as many of the arguments that are popularly had, where people then take up, like, opposing positions based on these arguments, as though, though these are the fundamental this is the fundamental interrogation that we need to get up to as a species in order to figure out where, what do we do with this? Um, because this is not an issue where we can just quote unquote, live and let live. Um, because both, literally both interpretations suggest that someone's lives are being infringed upon to, a, to an immoral, unethical criminal, criminal degree, right? So we both have the same claim in other ways. It's different evidences and different victims or whatever in that in that uh, paradigm. Uh, but I thought it would be very helpful to like, there's a lot of arguments that people are having every single time this subject comes up 
on social media that aren't tenable. They're not, we, we should stop having the wrong arguments and, and try to find what the right ones are. So this is the, this is first an attempt to kind of move through popular arguments that hopefully um, will help you avoid having them in the future. Yeah. Well, let's reason them out and see if they're dismissible though. Yeah, and I, I, I broadly agree with that approach. Um, as we'll see, we, we don't necessarily agree that all of these are dismissible. Yeah. Um, I also want to do a quick language check. I, I am attempting, I'm always working on reprogramming little pieces of language. Um, so I just referred to uh, victims of rape and incest, and I am upgrading that language to survivors uh, as, as I perceive is is a more empowering way to talk about it the, the word the term victim being disempowering the word surviving survivor being more empowering and then also that language nuance uh, brings up has pretty interesting implications in the context of what we're talking about it really it really does right yeah that's interesting because then if you survive but someone else doesn't that's a that's a that's an interesting that's a fascinating paradigm right yeah yep. Cool. So um, the first one we thought we, we upgraded to the front of the line because oh, of yeah, yeah. who we are uh, is that a lot of uh, people, uh, particularly women, I believe, uh, would say men should just not be having this discussion at all, that we have nothing right. to do with it, um, that we shouldn't be having an opinion <clears throat> at a minimum or a, the greatest scheme of things because the Supreme Court is still mostly male. Um, actually having that level of power uh, over, over, you know, whole swaths of people, which I don't yeah. know, could, could lead us right into the autonomy um, piece. Um, mm -hmm. Well, actually, these all kind of go together. I think men have no say women's right of bodily autonomy. Those seem like a little cluster to me. So, you know, our, our, my thought is that, well, uh, for this to be taken seriously as a public health issue, it means that it is a public health issue. And to, to me, that means we all should care and we all should have a say about public health. Uh, you know, I don't think it's any more complex than that for me. Um, now, I think yeah. there are extreme limitations in how I can relate to this. I'm not capable of being pregnant. I don't have sure. a uterus. I don't walk through society with the same risks that women might yeah. face in terms of being violated or even if it's consensual in terms of being the one that nature designated to carry the child and all of yeah. that. So, you know, there's tons and tons of um, limitations on, on my perspective and I think what I can bring. Uh, so, you know, that's it. That's all we can do is speak for who we are and we're two yeah. men, uh, lightly melanated men in America. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I would agree with that essential appraisal of it on probably on a different basis. Uh, meaning that 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 would again be, or not again. Sorry, that would maybe be the first example of a what is it? An exclusive application of a principle, which I always find I'm very skeptical of, the idea that men don't have a say on a the appraisal of whether we're appraising this as a immoral or criminal act uh, relating to at the very least what we're discussing, the potential uh, murder of a human being, determining whether it's a human, still determining, is it a human being? Uh, does that matter? Uh, and is it murder? Are still all questions to be had, but that's the question we're having. Um, 
simply because you cannot experience or are unlikely to experience an event does not preclude your ability to have a, an informed, uh, informative, and even guiding uh, principle understanding of something. Um, men not having say would actually be fascinating because it would it would eliminate um, claims of privilege. Uh, if you have privilege and don't use it, um, well, that's a that's a phenomenal waste. So if men have some sort of advanced privilege uh, in our society, then they better have a say. Like if you don't have a say, then what are you doing? Then then that would be an abusive privilege to not use uh, to not use your power uh, to examine whether something is is criminal uh, or not. Uh, women also, there's no other area where you're like, ah, oh, well, these people don't get to weigh in on this particular thing. Um, that just does not exist. Maybe it exists in other countries. It doesn't exist in ours. You don't have to be an American citizen to hop on television and pontificate extensively about our political process, uh, nor would that be discouraged. Uh, women are certainly uh, invited and should be part of the conversation on sentencing uh, rape and uh, rapists and murderers, even though that would be statistically pure, pure male. Um, slight less on, on the murder uh, side of things. Um, but women absolutely have a say in the violence in our society, which is perpetrated dominantly. I mean, to a to really should be an almost embarrassing degree uh, by men. Um, so yeah, it's just not, it's not a reasonable, it is not a thoughtful or reasonable claim to make that there are people uh, who are uh, disincluded, who are, are um, you wouldn't disenfranchise any cast of people uh, from conversation on any issue. I can't think of an, this would have to, this would be again, a statement of a singular exception to a principle that I, as far as I'm aware, uh, everyone I know would hold, um, but, is, but is frequently invoked for some reason this particular issue. Yeah, and I, one thing I'll pick out there that's really close to my heart is, yeah, I mean, statistically men, you know, inflict most of the, the violence and yeah. that we agree on and that we, want to change in whatever way it might be possible. And that's the focus. I'm in two different men's groups and that's that's a huge piece of it. Cause I, yeah. I'm all about, I think we're both about getting to the root of things. Sure. And, you know, to me, that's about men healing. That's about men, you know, where does that, where is that violence really coming from? And actually addressing that at the root. Yeah. Um, so to that, to that extent, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that we ought, we damn well ought to have a say in that. And because <laughs> men are gonna have typically more power to yeah. talk about that and heal other men and, and all of that. Um, and so let's let's move on because that yeah. is um, an easy one. <laughs> we, started with, we started with easy one because here we are talking about it. So clearly we believe in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next, um, and this is a, an outline, you know, mostly um, Brendan, came up with uh we edited a bit so yeah uh, I, I guess i've taken the role of like leading us through this um, sure so uh the second is men uh <laughs> sorry women's rights yeah so abortion and then again what, what i'm saying is this is this is in uh i i would consider this dismissible by virtue of this is not the central argument there may be aspects that of this that relate any of these, by the way, in case anyone hears those and it's like, what, how does it has something to do with that? Yes, absolutely. Not denying that some of these things may pattern over. Um, but I would say that if someone says abortion is really about women's rights, um, 
I don't think that's rationally tenable. Um, a because it's about a except because it's in, it's an unequal right. It's not an equal right. Uh, I do believe in generally functional equal rights in a society uh, for all uh, human beings, as is developmentally appropriate. I think it's perfectly fine for a two-year-old not to have the uh, freedom to drive a motor vehicle, for example. Uh, so there are obviously there are rational exceptions, um, but in general, uh, I would consider that the goal uh, here. Um, so it's an, uh, the right to have an abortion is an unequal right. It is not a right that. Uh, Men, that men possess. So it's not to remove the right to be able to decide whether to cease, cause cessation uh, of a life within another human being is only actually the purview uh, of women. So it does relate to women's rights and that women have, have, have as, is it, as it is legal, as it is legal, um, uh, extra right, not an equal right. So it's actually unequal rights. So this is a strange area where men could say, hey, we don't have equal rights to women and advocate uh, thusly. That is not my argument, uh, but it certainly would be rationally tenable. Uh, it also doesn't really relate to women's rights because women are half of the children that we're talking about uh, in the womb. Uh, so it really, it, if it's about women's rights, then it would have to apply to those females as well, in which case this, this is why I don't think people should argue about this because I, I think that's, so then you're just saying, well, whose woman rights? Now, do women's rights only apply to adult women? Do they apply to all females? Do they apply to all humans? I, I, to me, so to me, this this would just send us off into hours and hours of rabbit trailing, and I don't think it would actually connect back. You'd actually have to have a separate. It would be a separate conversation that wouldn't actually be linked to this. But that's just my understanding. But I want to I want to know what, how you think through it. Yeah, I, I to me this is is this is probably the one to. To come back to, um, you know, I, I there's a there's a unique circumstance here where yeah. where women are have this role in reproduction, obviously yeah. uh, that's unique <laughs> that men just simply don't have <laughs> yeah. to, to to incubate and carry this um, this life, and it's. Uh, I mean, I go a little abstract here and, and because I, a lot of, I think what's happening is that this is completely wound up in a much broader limitation of women's rights in our country. Hmm. And to me, the best evidence for that is that the equal rights amendment um, is, has taken nearly 100 years, 1923, nearly 100 years and it hasn't been ratified in all 50 states yet mm -hmm. so you know clearly women were not explicitly named in the constitution didn't have all kinds of rights for in terms of voting and and at a political level for most of this country's existence and still to this day it's not actually locked in um and i'm, I'm realizing that's how common that is you know just as i learn more about how laws are actually passed um well, amendments, right? I mean, it just takes a long time yeah. under any circumstances. Um, so I think to me, I, that's what I sense is a lot of the 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 really like uh, triggering and the and the the really hard emotions around this and and what could seem like being closed off from having this discussion at all is this broader context that I I believe we still have not gotten anywhere near. Uh, having equal rights for men and women more broadly. Yeah. Um, 
And then in this case, you know, it's, I think I'm, I, I'm guessing part of your argument feels like right, it's rights and responsibilities. Like, like there's like nature imbued women with a kind of responsibility. Yeah, it's a power. Yeah, it's the Spider-Man, uh, the, the Uncle Ben adage. With great power comes great responsibility. Likewise for men, you know, we just but we have different offices in that just due to the nature of biological reproduction. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, and that that's that could probably be a big unpack, but and I don't I, think you can have can you have rights without responsibility? And of course, it's even a larger question. I mean, I don't th I don't think tenably you really can. I don't um, think you I don't think you can, and and yeah. so that to me just raises well i i'm guessing we would both stand for the father the father the sperm <laughs> writer yeah. to um have a responsibility in in the whole it's demand yeah it's it's as dem it's it's demanded honestly it's demanded by nature now there's responsibilities you're different obviously like you can't grow a uh, uh, human inside of you um but the, demand, the demands can be equal uh, and not the same. Yeah. You know, but yeah, my, well, I just have one curiosity and this maybe be a whole separate issue, but like, what's an example of like a woman, like a right that a woman doesn't have that a man has? Well, my mind goes to a couple of areas. One is, yeah. one is safety, we've, we've already, spoken on this episode about yeah how women have less you know so is is safety a right do they but i but i'm saying like do they they still have the right to safety the same as men do for example like if their if their safety is violated they have equal protection under the law as far as i understand i could be wrong and this is not i'm not i'm not i have no i have no legal expertise that i'm or even research that i'm leaning upon but i just mean like they have less safety certainly I would say that women suffer from, uh, well, actually women suffer from certain types of violence absolutely more than men do. Uh, men get killed, kill the most and get killed the most by homicide. Um, uh, women uh, suffer sexual assault to a, to, like, to a disproportionate horror show uh, arena. But as far as I understand, like, are there any areas in which women don't have the same essential rights in, in adjudicating all those things or in avoiding those things. You know what I mean? Now, I don't know, for example, like it, there could be some state that's like, oh no, you're allowed to do this thing to a woman that you're not allowed to do to a man. I don't know. But I just know when I say that, they're like, oh, that women have less rights or whatever, or that's the concern is that women will now have less rights than, than even just than men looking at it in that framework. You know, I'm not a scholar in this either. Uh, it's worth yeah. doing some research. I mean, another one comes to mind of just yeah. realizing a little while ago, like how many states allow uh, teenage marriage. Uh, yeah. And and so I think, and I, I do think that disproportionately impacts young women and girls. Uh, so I, I'm sure, yeah, it's worth digging into and finding a clear yeah. answer to that question. Yeah, because I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because my, my claim is there aren't, but until I find evidence of it, like I don't, I don't, I don't, until I see it, I don't 
believe it in this particular arena, but I'm certainly, I wouldn't, it would not shock me. <laughs> it yeah. wouldn't shock me if there's, if there's something, you know what I'm saying? As opposed to a, like an effect, effect, I would agree with you completely. Like there are, there are things that disproportionately affect uh, women and there are things, and vice versa. There are things that disproportionately affect men. Obviously any, any law to do with our prison system disproportionately affects men. That is, that is a, that is a male issue. I think women should be talking about it as well. Or, but, or the draft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The draft is another uh, prime example. Um, although I think that might be changing, but yeah, so that, that's my only, that's my curiosity. So when people bring this up, I'm always like, well, wait a second. In the, in the broader context you're talking about, I was like, does that exist? And I'm not saying, yeah. and again, I'm saying I don't, I, I don't think it does, but it might, but it may, I'm not staking any money. I wouldn't bet any money on that. <laughs> well, and that's why I bring up the ERA because <laughs> that literally is the constitutional amendment for women's rights. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not ratified everywhere. It's yeah. not done after a hundred years, almost a hundred years. Um, so yeah. that's a piece, but yeah, I'm, I am being careful because I'm, I am pick, trying to pick through rights and laws versus outcomes and that's yeah a, a lot of things that are coming up for me are probably more outcomes you know like i'm in the startup space and less than three percent of startup funding goes to women and uh bipoc founders right so there's just yeah there's an equity that yeah i i i feel like relates to rights but it's it's not exactly a right you know is it a right to like i don't know have have equal access to startup funding or something like that like no that's not that's not i think that's more in the outcome space like you're saying sure 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 that makes sense okay so that well at the very least i don't i don't know if this would ever connect although i understand why people talk about it does that make sense i, I don't think this is a rash like it's a, it's a, i don't think we could ever get to if we figured women's rights out i don't really know what that would actually really have to do with abortion um but i do understand it is helpful to understand why people might bring that up. Yeah, and, I'd, and I'd love to hear from those people who are like, "Oh no, here that here are a bunch of ways why women need the extra right, the the uh, the disproportionate, the unequal right of access to abortion in order to, again, it may be to be like, well, because they have these disproportionate unequal rights in these other areas or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, that I would love to hear that if if people have that um, perspective yeah. or information, I would totally love to hear it. That's helpful to really um, pick it apart for, for that exact point. And it's a great segue, I think, in the next one, which is bodily yeah. autonomy. Yes. Which to me is, is clearer hmm. um, in, in that way because it, um, but it builds on that. It, you know, so to me, it's the, this is the thing I, I come back to is the autonomy of the woman yeah because it is a unique circumstance yeah you know, even even um entertaining the idea that that they're both autonomous lives the it's a unique circumstance where the woman the pregnant woman um is devoting a tremendous amount of resources and literally parts of herself uh, and a pretty, a very significant amount of her time in life, which I don't want to veer too far off, but could, could even relate to, there's plenty of evidence about what happens to women uh, professionally and having access to resources 
because yeah. of pregnancy. They're taken out of the workforce. They're not given as many promotions, things like that. So yeah. maybe that seems like a, not exactly in this category. Um, so, so to me, that this, this is the one I often come back to, is the autonomy of the pregnant woman to make a choice about what's happening inside her body. Yes. And the reason I concluded this as dismissible is, again, as a framework of this, what we're really talking about is bodily autonomy. Uh, and I would say that's dismissible. Uh, because if bodily autonomy, again, this is a religious slash constitutional basis that bodily autonomy exists, right? That's even a thing that we should recognize or is helpful or good or whatever. Um, I think we probably, we both agree so we can move past that as opposed to, we can unwind that, but let's not, because we both think bodily autonomy is an important essential principle of human existence. Um, so that's good. Again, this is another good thing, guys. As you discuss uh, abortion with someone you don't agree with, you will find anybody you talk to uh, believes in the principle of bodily autonomy, which is why I actually don't think it's very salient to discuss uh, because both parties believe in bodily autonomy. That's what the whole thing, the entire <laughs> conversation is about. What are the limits of bodily autonomy? Because there are and there should be limits to bodily autonomy. And we all agree to that. We all just put limits in different places. If it is essentially about bodily autonomy, then both the uh, fetus, young human in the womb, or, or the mother outside are both in especially, specifically vulnerable and unique circumstances. Um, the the pro-life position generally would be that the bodily autonomy of both of these humans is absolutely relevant here. So it's not about overriding um, anyone's. It just says we have to respect the essential sovereignty of an individual uh, and that if bodily autonomy is in, is this is why this can't be discussed as a central question. If body bodily autonomy is in, inviolable principle, I probably said that, I was in, uh, incorrectly pronounced that word, inviolable uh, principle, then that would apply to both parties here, both the child um, and the mother, in which case it's a non-starter. We don't, we can't get anywhere with that. As in, if, if you can't violate the principle, then you can't, you, you can't kill, you just can't kill the kid. You know what I mean? You can't kill the mom either. So, but it becomes, it just, it, it's, it's again, that it's, I think there are elements of, of bodily autonomy that are important here. And this is, you know, as we talked about, then it becomes a matter of like, do you prioritize certain human beings bodily autonomy over the bodily autonomy of others, which generally we do not do um, in it with exceptions for criminal behavior, for example, or high threat risk, something, blah, blah, blah. Um, I also don't like people talking about bodily autonomy. This is just me speaking of a pet uh, frustration. Um, in that a lot of people who speak of uh, abortion as though it is essentially about bodily autonomy are the same people who have been um, attempting to violate bodily autonomy for two years. So I just think honestly, any anybody in the in the democratic space should stay away from the bodily autonomy argument because I don't think it's a safe, I don't think anyone, it, all it's gonna do is stir up problems because bodily it, autonomy it, it, has, has been not important for two years. It, and in the context say, of the pandemic and vaccine mandates, just to be clear, right? Yeah. And vaccine mandates, um, yeah, uh, sure, mask mask mandates, sure. lock, lockdowns, just yeah, any any government intervention has said, oh no, you can you can kind of punish people however you want, uh, in order to make them, in order to get them to override essentially their bodily sovereignty, and you can keep them at home, you can punish them without due process in all the ways you want. And we have examples of this for the past two years of the same people who are saying that, you know, the bodily autonomy is a body autonomy is a sort of an it's an unassailable principle 
uh, have also been advocating for the overriding of bodily autonomy in special circumstances. So then they don't, it's, it's hard for anyone to, to, I think, wrangle with it. So I think people should stop talking about it for, for now because um, I don't think it's, uh, it's essentially relevant because it's relevant to all parties. Anyway, that makes sense. Yeah, and I, and I think I'm gonna just slightly adjust our order because I, to me, this directly relates to, you know, is it is it a human life? Yeah. Uh, so, because I think the, if, if it is a human life, yeah. then I understand what you're saying in that context. Yeah. I'm sorry, if, if, to be more specific, if, if, the, if the fetus, if, um, if the, uh, yeah, are we, <laughs> it's funny, I'm trying to like make sure the, the terminology, because I know some of the terminology is just um, inaccurate or now that I've dug a little more deep into the science, but for actually sure. I think you just illustrated it. Like you said fetus was Latin for young one. Was yeah, right? young one. So if we're talking about a fetus in a human, it's a young human. So yeah, I, I think people use it because they think it's a clinical term and you can kind of get away with kind of like stepping. You're like, oh, because it doesn't say human. So then we can say that and agree to it. Um, but since that, it just means young, young one. So like yeah. a fetal, you know, a pig fetus, like a fetus inside a pig would be a, a young, a young pig or a fetus inside of a human is a young human. So before we step into the windows, kind of the windows life, human life piece of this begin, which is obviously yeah. an enormous piece of the debate. Yeah. Arguably, maybe the biggest. Um, uh, yeah, like so, the autonomy conversation, I think, depends a lot on that. Maybe it, it, it hinges entirely on that because if it is a life, then we, we're talking about the autonomy of two lives. If yes. the fetus is a, is a human life, and if it's not a human life, then then we're only really talking about the autonomy of the pregnant woman. Yeah, and. Yeah, I, I think the, the crux of this um, that we keep coming to is, well, what is that place in the middle where maybe if, if science does say that they're both human lives, does the pregnant woman's autonomy still trump the, um, the fetus in the context of the demands that are going to be placed on her life mm -hmm. uh, to to preserve and protect that fetus. Yeah. And if she has an ethical responsibility implicit in the process, you know, just as the father has an ethical principle explicit in the process is that if a father, for example, this is just to look at how we look at it in our society. If a father goes and damages a woman's abdomen to the degree that it kills the baby, he will be held liable for that action as as a as a homicide if in our in the united states of america if, if someone kills a pregnant woman and the child it's a it can be and often is prosecuted as a double homicide and we see it socially as a great ill you know so i would say generally we all look at uh at the, the, the swollen belly of a mother and see even not even just this is just general consensus as that we, you know we've been sharing this uh, piece back and forth. It's more about like social social mores or whatever. I would say by general consensus, we look at a pregnant woman and think, oh my gosh, there's a baby growing in there. I think that's pretty much what everyone thinks. I think we only get real weird and start parsing out language when we kind of we go, well, wait, I don't know. I might I might I might want to carve out some exceptions here. 
But yes, application of any principles ethical, ethically has to say, do these principles apply to this person? You know, if it's a statue of a human being, does bodily autonomy, you know, uh, freedom of expression, whatever, do all, do all of our essential principles apply to a statue of a human, which bears many of the characteristics of a human being? Or do they apply to women? Do they apply to the negroid? Do they apply to the mongoloid? They, uh, in, in both senses of that word, do they apply to the neurologically diverse? Do they, you know, like we, we have, these are all ethical questions to be considered that do, do essential principles apply and that so that does make yes where where is life what where is life what is life which are can be scientifically interrogated um but of course is life valuable is then you know we have to step into the realm of ethics religion morality blah 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 to figure out figure that part out yeah and it kind of takes me back to the, the question about women's rights in the sense that you know with us both acknowledging that men commit most of the violence yeah there are there are all all of these violations of um, women's autonomy, you know, one, I can't quote the exact stat, but I, I become aware that lots of rape kits are just sitting on shelves. In, yeah. in, oh, I think tens of thousands or something horrifying. Yeah. Yes. yeah. It's like, and, and the process they have to go through, to, you know, like a lot of people don't even report rapes because it's just so humiliating and, and triggering and um, traumatizing. So again, you know, that broader context of, of yeah. is, is autonomy, um, perspective yeah well and is it is it important right i mean and it's and it would be argued by the same principles that to violate a woman's autonomy sexually um is it's the same principle wherein to violate a fetus's autonomy to have a right to existence it's it's based on the same framework that they're they're ethically wrong by the same by the same metric that you cannot uh use your bodily autonomy to uh, violate someone else's bodily autonomy to override somebody else's uh, will, sort of unnaturally, so to speak, you know. So, so let's go specifically into, you know, yeah. is, is the, let's, I don't know, how we want to phrase it, when does human life begin? Yeah. Is, is the fetus uh, human life? Um, you know, something that's come up in many episodes as a framing, you know, Brendan does way more research than I do typically, uh, but this has encouraged me to, you know, I dug out like a, a scientific article from Princeton from a while ago, like 1999. And it was just fascinating to actually learn some, you know, way more than I probably ever did in, you know, seventh grade biology or whatever it was. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a, it's a, it's a, there's so many more stages. <laughs> yeah. There's so much more happening there. And I, I was probably in high school, but, uh, and it, I, I will say it is, it is a compelling argument. This is purely from a biological, a Western biological standpoint, which I want to frame, but I won't go too deep here. Maybe in the future, I view Western biology as a limited construct to begin with, uh, as I'm unpacking more things about just how other cultures look at life, indigenous cultures. Um, there's a book I've been reading, Braiding's, Braiding Sweetgrass, which is fascinating because it's a biologist, a Western biologist, American biologist with Potawatomi roots. And so she's, it's just this amazing lens of, of what's limited really about yeah. how, how we even talk about life at a, it's more than molecules, you know, it's more than just like this molecular yeah. analysis. And yet, the scientist in me finds that valuable 
um, the thing that stood out the most for me was what happens at the moment of fertilization in terms of the sperm and the ovum reducing to 23 chromosomes so that when they combine, there is a new something <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, that, has yeah. 40, that has 46 chromosomes Yeah, at the moment of fertilization. And I know I'm, yeah. I'm also, it also helped me to dig deeper into like, like I thought, it, I thought a lot of this argument was about kind of the first trimester, but it seems a lot of it is about the first two weeks about from, yeah. from fertilization to implantation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, I, and then beyond that, I want to add in a, from a spiritual con consciousness context, I actually reconnected with one of my colleagues this week who does past life regressions, mm. hypnosis, you know, I, I believe in all of that. I've, I've experienced some of that. And in that context, some of that work looks at in utero trauma. Yeah. That, that carries with us at an energetic, at a subconscious yeah. level. Um, so I, I, this, this to me doesn't feel like the most important argument to, mm -hmm. to really pick apart when, when life begins. Uh, now, when, when, now personhood is, is the natural kind of extension and I, that's, that's next on our yes. list. So purely in terms of what Western biology can observe and measure, uh, it, it, it does seem logical to me. To right, that it would, yeah. Life, this life, this specific kind of life began at that moment. Yes, and we know it's, and it's, we know it's human life on uh, all, all parties should be readily admitting that it's in the spectrum of development. Uh, human development really precedes I mean, you could some say in, in, throughout your entire life cycle, but certainly into your late 20s in terms of brain development doesn't really finish then. So those, we have all these markers where we can, we can slide the scale all around. And my, I think I've said this, uh, maybe, oh, I guess maybe it was might have been the previous episode. I was like, I feel like I've said this before, but um, my principle in general is that we should have as maximal an approach as possible as relates to our species, the hu human species, uh, as to what constitutes a life worthy of essential inviolable principle application, uh, protection, et cetera. I don't even care that much about liberty and pursuit of happiness. Uh, it's a very American thing, um, but life certainly. Uh, so that we shouldn't determine Again, speaking of tribal thinking, where many tribes throughout history, many people groups look at themselves as fully human. And then when the outsiders come in who are not part of your tribe are less than human. So it's a very popular way for human beings to, to devise that there are in-group equals fully human, out-group equals not, not human enough. So this is something I realized we've wrangled with throughout human history and will continue to. But in general, I, I thought, perhaps I was incorrect, that our agreed upon principle was let, let's be in, as inclusive as possible for at least the most essential protection. So that even if you're, if you're trans, you're neurologically divergent, you're black, white, brown, whatever, you're a woman, you're a really hilariously short person. Um, that you all, that we just expand, we want to kind of constantly be expansive in our recognition and that, you know, whether you're a citizen or a non-citizen, that there are essential protections. Um, you might have limited liberty, but you don't really have limited life. 
Now it might be, it might be easier to get away with killing an, a non-citizen or whatever, but that's still getting away with the criminal act. We still have essential protections, whether you're in group, you're out group, whether you're completely reliant on the government, we are completely reliant on a, an, adult, an adult or a mother or whatever. Like we just, in, in general, we're pursuing an expansionist project for that application. So I think with the scientific evidence being certainly in the realm of consensus of information or textual information, this wasn't really even something that was radically questioned much, which is like, no, that's when life begins. Now, does it have the full, like you were talking about, does it have the full capacity? Do you get to have all the privileges? You know what I mean? We already meet out privileges in very reasonable ways as limited, you know, again, children don't have the same rights, you know, ap applicable rights as an 18 year old or whatever. Um, but yeah, but I think that's why, I think in general, we should, we should just agree. <laughs> Let's just all just agree, guys, it's a life. And then what are we gonna do about it? Cause then I think we can move on to the more, to the more essentials. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that, you yep. know, and, and then it raises, you know, I found a great article just talking about, <laughs> and let's face it, the, the lawyers are going to be really, really busy for the next, probably forever, uh, sorting out the implications of, of the states. And yeah, some states, I think Texas and Oklahoma were named, have pretty contradictory laws in place. So it's just interpreting this, figuring this out. And then there's, it, it, it opens up a lot of really challenging questions like if a, what if um somebody who's not a citizen uh gets pregnant here yeah can we deport her because yeah she has an american citizen inside of her you know so so yeah and your reaction to that we don't need to unpack all of that but your reaction i think was was like well well yeah we have to sort through all of that Yep. You know, it, wasn't, yeah, totally it wasn't just like, no, 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 it's going to be easy. <laughs> like, it's really obvious. It, it'll it be fun. It's always fun. I mean, this is literally why people go to law school is to like sort these things out. This is why anyone goes to college is so we can think these things through, right? It's the, it's the opportunity to continue to think. Yeah, there's a bunch of things that need to be applied. I think it's, I think it's going to be way simpler than people keep pretending that it's going to be. You're like, how do we do this? How do we pro prosecute these things? We've prosecuted murder by hitman or whatever forever. So this isn't like, this isn't going to be like a very difficult thing in terms of like, well, we just have no precedent. What is, how are we going to play all this out? And when are we going to, like, we have all the format in place and we, and are we going to do it in an impoverished, occasionally morally impoverished fashion? We totally are. Now that doesn't mean you stop prosecuting hitman crimes, but you just like, let's, we do have to recognize we're going to be getting, we need to get better at things. And then yes, the laws that, have, this is sometimes the problem with incrementalism having enacted all these incremental laws, now when the possibility of actual abolition is on the table, we've created a, a much a more complicated problem than we ever needed to have. Texas law is a perfect example or whatever, the sort of like deputization of a citizen to pursue and you only can prosecute really the, the hitman, but not the person who hired the hitman. And it's just like, oh my, uh -huh. that, I was like, they made that way more complicated than it needed to be. In terms of okay. Yeah, in terms of enforcement, in terms of the law itself, it was like such a weird, such a weird loophole <laughs> to me. I don't know. It seems very, very strange. That, 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 that we can agree on. The, yes. The, that is a very dangerous place for our society to go. I don't, I don't like it. I don't yeah. like it. And there's, a, there's encouragement in all sorts of arenas that's happening more and more to kind of deputize based on the internet model, I think, where people like, oh, you can kind of police yourselves. Now, yes, we should be policing ourselves, but we shouldn't be policing ourselves on, on behalf of 
this sort of external government agency. That seems that seems weird. Again, it seems again, it's like a deputization where I'm just like, I I I feel very uncomfortable with that. I don't I don't like I, I don't like the way it's weaponizing, again, othering. It's weaponizing this sort of adversarial nature to me. I don't know. I, I, I listen, I partially get it. I understand I can have the argument for and against it, but I don't, I'm not, I'm certainly not comfortable with it. Which which ties in my use of abolition, which is essentially abolishing the state's monopoly on lethal violence to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, I think, I think I'm just like, let's abolish lethal violence. Let's, the answer to that is not deputizing and, and spreading that out to all citizens. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I would agree too. And then, so that's why if it's a life, maybe, hey, maybe we're done, Andy. Let's abolish lethal, lethal violence. Wait, what did I just say? No. <laughs> um, so, well, let's, uh, I think we can do this. We've got three more. So, yeah. and I think this, I think this does tie into personhood. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, this, this one, I don't know. I, I, this one is way less clear cut for me. Like when, I mean, this is, this is, this takes us into the realm of philosophy. Like when does personhood start? That, that yeah. takes us out of biology, I believe. Um, I don't think that's something we can measure in terms of molecules. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't no, really I, 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 no, I think that's, I, <laughs> I mean, we could uh, exhaustively discuss it, but the, one of the reasons I think making it essentially about personhood is not salient uh, because it's, it's going to send whoever is speaking um, in certainly into the, realm, the realms of the religious um, and philosophical um, and then it's it's vaguely helpful to find out if you're on the same page, but it is so it's inordinately difficult to solve. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Um, but it's again, it's also it puts us in a weird place of is I, and it makes me uncomfortable. Is this a unique application of this conversation? Meaning, where else do we do this? Like, where else do we go? Yeah, but are they really a person? Do they still have? like a person in a vegetative state, right? It's like, well, are they a person anymore? Do they, what essential rights do they have? They don't have much liberty. So they have no functional liberty rights. They might have the same rights. They just aren't able to exercise them, which is obviously a completely different conversation. Um, but again, this, uh, the re one of the reasons I think we can move past it is I would say generally, we all in this human experiment or the American experiment, we have an expansive view of who qualifies as a person. More expansive than tribalistic thinking, then we're trying to as much as possible be like, uh, apply as I said to you, the Dr. Seuss principle. A person's a person no matter how small. <laughs> so whether they're in utero, out utero, uh, Reliant, whether they're a product of rape or incest or consensual, loving, monogamous or polyamorous sex or whatever. Like it doesn't, none of those things really matter and don't in any way diminish. Our, our personhood is not diminished by geography, uh, neurological development, um, size, you know what I mean? A lot, a lot of things you would apply to an unborn person or or a person out walking around, you know what I mean? Those those elements wouldn't, don't really fluctuate. Yeah. So and for to me, um, this framing 
came up in the unpublished episodes uh, that I've held for several years now to try to simplify my worldview, dignity and agency Yeah. for every person. Yep. And I, that was something that resonated with you. And it does, it, it does seem like a unique conflict in this, in this situation that in, yeah. order, in order to demand the dignity and agency of an unborn fetus, it compromises in many cases, the dignity and agency of the pregnant woman. Oh, interesting. But does it do so in any untraditional fashion? I guess would be my question. Because all, we're, we're all, well, except th this is uh, this is just an assumed agreement and that we all have limits on our dignity and agency in that we're not allowed to sort of step over anybody, it, it impinge on anyone else's um, dignity and agency. So then like, for example, our freedom or our pursuit of happiness can't end the life of anybody else. Like you can't, you know what I mean? Yes, we don't have yeah. free reign, which even that to, to me would actually, my, this is more my philosophical belief about it, yeah. would, would compromise dignity like, yeah. uh, to begin with. Um, yes. Well, then that's that's why this is abortion ethical is the question. Is right. it undignified, essentially? Like, do you and that might this this is even this just gets into natural law and all sorts of other things, which, again, may be another dismissible conversation, which is like, is the is the responsibility of the mother actually an indication uh, of ethical demand? For example, is it and we generally view this principle as as such. That means like if a mother kills a child, we recoil in horror. Those are the stories that like big headlines, everyone has this natural, it's in Greek tragedy. You know what I mean? It's like seen as sort of the worst thing when a mother kills a child, not even when a father kills a child, which I think is sexist, that's misandrist, um, or perhaps a, just a pragmatic view of the violence of men. But generally, uh, th does dignity have something to do with virtue? And of course, then we can make the argument that virtue is not virtue if it is not freely chosen. But we do we make a lot of demands on virtue in law in general, thiever as relates to murder, thievery, uh, rape, whatever, etc. So, so to me, it's the, then the agency part kicks in. Yeah, it's, it's not for me to tell a pregnant woman what dignity is for her. Yeah, and then and that's where that's where that this does intersect with. The law of the land. And yes. The question of are we, <laughs> yeah, in terms of ethics, is it more ethical to just say, hey, woman, this is totally your deal? You, you just do whatever yeah. you want, you know, do whatever you want. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or to your point about killing a child, is, is that, is it the ethical? I mean, clearly we have very, we have very clear laws about not killing children, right? Um, yeah. Even though, even though I think we're doing a piss poor job enforcing that with child tra trafficking and everything. Else. Oh, absolutely. Um, so that that to me is the agency overcoming my projection of what dignity is for a woman. Yeah. yeah, but but you do agree we do have to, in order for us to live in dignity and agency, we have to impress external principles on the internal process in general for human beings. Like, 
we can't we can't allow everyone to just determine for themselves like the limits of their autonomy or dignity or whatever because i think that's that's what's gotten us into the problem we both recognize <laughs> right and, and where i think this is an absolute unique situation with one one human incubating another human inside them which is a yeah. completely different situation than like just seeing seeing somebody walking down the street and wanting to kill them yeah, 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 yeah. And then do do we have a greater, this is an interesting thing too, as, as just because we're adjacent to it. Are there elements of natural law or like presumed ethics where protection of one's tribe or family is of greater ethical import than the protection of a stranger? That's fascinating to consider as well. You know what I'm I mean? not sure about the ethics of it, but it is certainly human nature to protect. Yeah our tribes and our families over right and our families all, so almost all other considerations yeah right that does that that is how we sort of naturally seem to incline i don't know if that's good or or bad necessarily either i think it would be better to have more a liberal liberal application of that principle but it also makes sense having be, being a part of a family um being also being part of a family so i think that's the interesting thing is we do actually have like socially we have to impose definitions of dignity on others. But I think you said a thing that I think is key and it's I always love to hear you say or anyone say, and this is why we have to all talk about ding-dang abortion. What we're talking about here is, a, I would say, and it's, a, it's an exclusive exception to principles, to general principles that we're seeking to carve out. That's, there's no, there's nothing like this. So we, so people pretending like this is super cut and dry. It's like, no, this is something we really got to work through. Would this be the lone exception? And I think for, I, I think from the pro-choice point of view, I, I would, I would like to see that more oftenly acknowledged. We're like, we realize we're saying this is, this is like the only circumstance when we're saying it's okay for someone to kill someone who they naturally would have like a super visory responsibility for. <laughs> and we're seeing it being explored on the state level now uh, in Canada, where like the government is, is sort of having expanded powers now in terms of euthanasia. Um, hmm. uh, and that, so that's already beginning to be expanded as a principle. I find that desperately incautious personally, but, um, but I can understand the, the, uh, the argument from a pragmatic sense. But yeah, but I think that we're getting to the crux of it, which is like, this is, this is a unique scenario for, for both parties, right? This is a unique vulnerability within the human development cycle for which we all made it out of, if we're talking about it. And this is a unique vulnerability and a unique uh, imposition against the freedom of a mother to, to not use her body to kill the body within her. Because every other time that would be, don't use her body to kill the body that's outside of her. And that would be the same for every man. Don't use your body to kill a body that's outside of you, which is what, which is part of the thinking as well, I, I assume, uh, of like why a, a father can't essentially choose, make the same choice that a mother can and say, we're, yeah, we're not keeping this kid or we're keeping this kid or whatever. Yep. So the, the next two, uh, I think kind of go together, healthcare and reproductive rights. Um, yes. Yeah, I just think those are silly. I think honestly, that's I'm just gonna say those are silly. Those are silly because they're it's buzz, it's trying to use buzzwords to get us not talking about the central thing. So I just think they're they're phenomenally unhelpful. I think reproductive rights have to do with the act, like 
anything pre preceding the reproductive process. Like the reprodu I, I, reproductive rights, I don't think has anything to do with like, oh, well, it goes from 23 to 46. And then from 46 to, that's not the reproduction anyone's talking about. They're talking about human reproduction. Your rights as to human reproduction are the right not to become impregnated against your will. That would be rape. <clears throat> and the reason why I think rape is a capital punishment and the reason why we in, socially, I don't think we deal with it as though we look at it the way we look at it. The reason rape is so egregious is because of this exact imposition. Rape isn't dominantly just evil because it's an overriding of bodily autonomy. If that way, it's just like if sex was just a physical act, for example, then it's really just a form of, of violence or assault. It's actually, so it's it, it's less agree. I think rape is is more ethically, more egregious than many, many forms of assault, most, um, because of this, this potential. I mean, literally it's the reaper, it's like sex is a life and death act. Uh, there are diseases, sexual transmitted diseases that can kill you. Um, and literally the act of, act of bearing a child can kill you. I mean, so, and then life is, is possible. So I think that's why re rape is egregious, is it actually is built in to this, uh, this very program. So that's kind of already taken care of. That, that's, that's super strange, that sort of like exceptional element is already taken care of. So I would say reproductive rights sort of really are end when reproduction has already taken place. And that's like whether you think that's a life or not, or whether you've seen that evidence, um, reproduction certainly has already occurred. And so I just don't think, and healthcare in general, end of life care. I mean, we're talking about end of life care more than we're talking about healthcare in any general sense. Like most quality healthcare, I would statistically all doesn't end with somebody dead, intentionally killed. So I was like, it's not, it's not really broadly a healthcare question or a reproductive right question. Anyway, that's, that's my thinking on that process. Yeah, and I, I mean, a couple of things, this is an area I, I think I need to learn more about. Um, couple things tie in, you know, my understanding is that America has very high maternal death rates. Uh, yeah. Almost, yeah. Almost exclusively due to uh, C-sections. Oh, okay. If you remove, if you move cesarean sections, we're actually doing very well. Um, but we have a, that's a whole, again, that's a whole separate episode. Uh, right. well, on, on, yeah. Unforced yeah. <laughs> C-sections uh, or whatever. You know, and, Right or wrong, I, I kind of just again put this in this much broader category of like, are are we, are women's is women's health care really something we're paying enough attention to? Again, no. I think a limitation of Western medicine, mostly based on the male body. We're we're still learning and expanding and and, yeah. and all of this. So, I I totally see how this can be taken as as just just a, a huge step backward in terms of really uh, women's healthcare in general uh you know what do we know about women what do we know about pregnancy what do we know about you know the female um, anatomy truly um i think we're we're still learning a lot and then and then the second category you know is that i i do perceive that it's attached to access to uh other things like contraception other other things that uh, I hope we both could agree that that could reduce abortions without involving the state. Uh, so to me, those there there is a linkage there, at least in terms of the institutions, such as Planned Parenthood, that 
are obviously in support of abortion and um, plan B and things like that, and also providing all kinds of other um, healthcare services for women. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's adjacent, but I, uh, or you could even have a conversation in terms of uh, application of uh, whatever expressed principles turned turned into law. Okay. And I think there's only one more that I feel like is very common. Uh, yeah. And you put it under uh, adjunct arguments. What about after they're born? You can't be pro-life if you don't help after they're born. And, and I will yeah. say this, this is certainly a loud one for me. This, is, this seems to be one of the most dominant. Um, it's, yeah, it gets brought up so much, yeah. Pro-choice. And in a very broad, and and you know, I want to pick it apart more. I want to learn more about it because I, I, I'm less and less attracted to just just huge stereotypes, huge generalizations. Like sure, anybody who's pro life doesn't give any shits about what happens to the children after they're born. I, yeah, I, I do sense, and you know, in some ways, I, I I view you as an exception to that stereotype, um, and part of why I'm attracted to this dialogue is I don't have many discussions with pro-life people. So I have to recognize that I actually yeah. don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I would invite you and everyone to get and myself to get in the place of, I don't know, um, and stay there and not absorb. That's one of the reasons I like, I don't like this as an adjunct argument. A, I just think it's rationally fallacious, this whole, and this is, and it's, it's rationally fallacious to kind of make these, if, you're not this in this way, then you're not this at all. Um, that just dominates the tribal landscape in discussion. And I find it enormously limiting. I find it hilarious because uh, it's, an, it's an attempt to identify an individual sort of religious orthodoxy to which you then apply and say, if you're not this thing I have individually determined then you are not the thing that you have individually determined yourself to be. So talk about overriding people's autonomy and dignity, right? And agency. I mean, you're fully saying like, no, not only are you, you can't be that thing unless you do it the way I say it. And it's just based on the way I say it too. It's not, there's no external reference to, to again, like whatever. I've, I've certainly been guilty of this within Christianity or whatever. I think you shared a thing with me and it was like sort of from a reverend of some sort, but I read enough of it that I was like, oh, this is not, I think I was I was under the misapprehension it was a Christian thing, but by the end of it, I was like, oh, this isn't Christian uh, by virtue of them espousing various principles that are excluded by sort of Christian orthodoxy, which is not something I determine, but it is, again, it's an, an externally determined uh, relevance. So I know we all engage in this to some degree. So I say that to kind of soften the, the hardness of this. Um, but A, A, it's just not true. Uh, Christians or whatever who would, might dominantly be found to be pro-life uh, adopt uh, twice as many um, children as uh, non-religious uh, people. Um, Christian uh, community, like uh, whatever, community-based uh, pregnancy centers provide more services uh, to more people than Planned Parenthood do. I mean, like the, the, all the evidence is out there and it's in constant, it's just that, but in some way, even by, my, by saying that, I'm falling into the trap of trying to justify something uh, for which someone is not a judge. Like, I don't, I don't, you would have to make a very salient rational argument to, to demonstrate those things. Merely the assertion of, 
if you don't do it my way, you don't care. I think it's just so tribalistic and makes us kind of hate each other. And it basically says, if you don't like my how, then you're not, you're not even your what. I mean, we can make it, we can make it, we can have those arguments, but I don't, I think they, I don't know if they're really as tenable as people, as tenable as people make them. Cause then all you do, you foster is someone go, well, you don't care about people at all. If you don't want them to live, to receive all of the services you think are so important. And then you're like, well, you don't care. No, but see, you don't care No, but you don't care. I mean, that's, I, that's why I'm like, I don't, I don't want people having that, those arguments. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think it's often contextualized around law and politics, uh, yeah. such, such as, you know, the, the same groups, I want to say Republicans who are, you know, who, who led this multi-decade effort to overturn Roe v. Wade. Sort of. They're sort terrible. Of. Republicans are terrible pro-life advocates. They're not, I mean, they're giving them way too much credit. And I say that as someone who has been in and around the pro-life world my entire, like since I was 12, right? No, like I, I, they run on it. They do very little next to nothing about it. It's, it's like it's like the Democrats in immigration. They run as though they're going to be so inclusive and they do the same thing, sometimes even worse than Republicans. Or the, or again, for both parties, the military industrial complex or whatever. But anyway, I just, just from my anecdotal experience, I want to debunk that that prevalent sense is that like the Republicans are really responsible for this. I don't, I don't, don't just, ugh. Well, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, and I even hesitated because, you know, what is, <laughs> what is Republican has even changed quite a bit. Yeah. I, my understanding is, I mean, Jerry Falwell had a huge like piece of this, right? I mean, he, I feel like. He, it was part of his plan was, yeah, 40, he wanted a 50, he kind of was on a 50 year project that he was like, which is kind of about hearts and minds, kind of about working through the legal system, kind right. of just but a really based in prayer. Steady effort yeah. and, and very yes. long-term like, hey, hey, everybody, we're in this, this is gonna be a long- Yes, yeah, yeah. Which is typical, again, in the abolition, his, in abolitionist history, Christian Christians say they're gonna, they wanna abolish some form of dehumanizing policy and they'll long game. William Wilberforce sort of most famously in England, whatever, like introduced the uh, abolition bill uh, for the abolition of slavery, which eventually really led to the abolition of slavery wor worldwide. England gets props for that one. Um, and, that, and that was like a 40 year, 40 year some odd project, you know? So I, and and we <laughs> come in for landing. The yeah. the piece I, I have seen, one example. Yeah. And, and let's not say Republican, let's say whatever group, whatever group is advocating. Yeah. Life is also not uh, willing to put restrictions on gun control and gun and gun purchases as, as that's one correlation I, I've seen pretty consistently. Yeah, I've seen that too. And the fascinating thing is the the gun control, the, this is why we shouldn't have these arguments because we, we rely on each other. You, like if, if you take either of those positions away, they don't exist. So for example, why would uh, school shootings be morally egregious, right? Uh, well, because they it's someone's bodily sovereignty and agency and dignity uh, overriding someone else's uh, to the point to the point of death. So we need that principle. We need that sort of religious principle that life is valuable and that people don't just get to kind of do what they want as they as they whatever self prescribe. Then you also have to. This is the gun control is a perfect example. And people are saying, well, if you're not for gun control, then you don't care about kids dying, which is again, not a rationally tenable 
thing because uh, you'd have to you'd have to pre-demonstrate that gun control was relevant towards producing less like decreased uh, outcomes. Also, trying to make those two things a comparison is not rational because shooting people with guns generally illegal, like. It, it, that's not a like there are obviously exceptions there are state exceptions etc cetera, etc cetera. and we we pursue those um whereas um using uh chemicals uh and uh dilation and cutterage instruments to take a life is not illegal so people have conflated those a lot but it's 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 not um and we're just in numbers wise we're not talking tenable things where gun violence takes about uh 20,000 lives by homicide in the big, in like the most violent year in 25 years during, during lockdowns, 2020. And in 2020, over 900,000 uh, humans were killed by abortion. So legally, you know what I mean? 20,000 illegal deaths, you know, uh, well, who knows, maybe 500 of those were found legal. I don't know. Uh, whereas we're close to a million uh, of, of legal legal deaths. So again, again, this is why like it's it gets into this whole thing of like prioritizing people's, you know, who's important. And there are people out there advocating against gun violence. And I don't suggest you should stop just because it's a small problem. We need people working on big problems. We need people working on small problems. Again, just be. <laughs> yeah, and I we probably have a whole episode about guns. Uh, I do believe yeah. there are examples. I, Australia comes to mind as as a nation that you know radically was able to eradicate guns and then saw outcomes from that. And I definitely wanna wanna dig deeper into that, make, make sure that's yeah. an accurate reference. Um, let's see, there was one last piece there. Oh, and I, the problem in America, I, I don't know. I mean, last I heard there were more guns than people here. You there know, are, yeah, we, yep. We, I, I, and I was actually at a very local level, I'm in Chicago. And no, it's not quite the war zone everybody puts on TV and uh, it's uh, so annoying when <laughs> conservatives talk about that shit. And like a lot of urban areas, of course there, there, uh, there is violence. So it, <laughs> in the theme of or the tone of everything we talk about, it's like, well, let's, let's like actually look at the real issue. Yeah. Um, but I was, I, I know a pastor um, or I guess a priest um, in, in, a, in an area, a uh, marginalized uh, area of town and he was just saying something has radically shifted in the last 20 years with guns. Just like yeah. everybody, everybody carries one now. It's yeah. just we're So we're at that point. Anyway, I feel like we're drifting away. I'm drifting away from abortion. Uh, that could be a whole other topic. Maybe we'll open up someday. Yeah. But, but I, I don't, I don't, we may be past gun control as a, as a, as a solution to that. I don't, I don't know. If that's true or not but. yeah yeah but it's just a, it's a it's an exhaustive again it's the I, I would oppose in general rationally the if then all these if then propositions uh because they just foster i know you are but what am i so then that's why i was like let's stop arguing about that because it just says you know what i mean you don't really care if that's if you only care about them getting surviving the womb you're like, okay, well, that's the deadliest place. And it's as irrational as saying, you don't care about refugees in the Ukraine because you haven't, you're not focusing on how to get them over the border to, po to Poland. And you're like, well, no, I'm here keeping the Russians from shooting them in the head. That's, that's what I'm doing. And that would be the most important thing. Um, you know what I mean? So it's just, it, it becomes this like, no, well, you're, what you're doing isn't as important. No, you're, I don't know. It just gets, 
I don't understand why people indulge in it. It seems very, um, it seems non-productive. Well, and I will just land that it just, it at least feels impersonal. I mean, I think yeah, that, sure. that's my renewed interest in talking to you is what's really going on yeah. in, in the heart and mind of, of somebody who wants to eradicate abortions. Yeah. And I don't, I just don't believe it's quite as clear cut or as dismissible as, um, as I used to think it was. Yeah. And I think that we trying to understand each other doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, enact the mind change or, or dangerous uh, proliferation of, uh, of evil ideas that some people are worried about. This is how we can talk about this. And this is how we can move past, hopefully move through these arguments in order to move past them. So if nothing else, if we've eliminated two or three of these arguments you can stop having, uh, then, <laughs> then we've done our job today. Let's, let's yeah, have... yeah, I'm, I'm sure I've said too much. I'm sure somebody could cobble together a bunch of, you know, out of context quotes for me to, to establish a pro-life argument. So there. Sure. But I, I think that's the, this is the, this is why these positions, this is why next, in the next episode, let's talk through the, what I think the actual crux of the conversation is, which is. We actually have so many of these other principles that we see pretending we don't have in common, we actually have in common. Again, like but reproductive rights would be of interest to all parties. You know what I mean? Uh, personhood is of interest to all parties, healthcare, bodily autonomy, women's rights. These are all of interest to note. There's no, a lot of these things are just boogeymen, I think boogeyman words to be like, oh no, they're those. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's a way to kind of do, dehumanize people in the argument. You know, and I think we didn't even talk about it, but um, I was I was saying if you saw any irrational arguments kind of on the pro-life side, but again, this may be my bias or cognitive dissonance speaking. Generally, I see more false arguments happening on the pro-choice side of things. So that's why I brought up all of these. If there are those in the pro-choice who are like, no, pro-life people bring up a bunch of false arguments. I, I don't see it. But again, maybe I follow a lot of abolition people. So their arguments, at least their arguments make sense to me. Um, at least one popular one is people like people use abortion as birth control. Um, I'm, I'm, I'd be ready and willing to have that conversation with someone as to whether that was a, is that a false argument? Is that a separate, uh, is that a separate argument? You know, all sort. Again, I think I would think that's a distracting argument. I think it's a it's adjacent to what we're fundamentally talking about, which is is it ethical? Is it ethical? Is this the right thing to do? And right and what is right is essentially inter intertwined with all rights. Yeah, and that reminds me of something I think we've uh, <laughs> in the unpublished episodes around, I, I have known a number of women who had abortions and none of them took it lightly. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a major decision that, that is carried with them throughout their lives. And I think you had a very, you, you had had a different experience. You, you had known people who were more casual about it, used it as birth control. Is that right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Or at least by, by their own uh, verbal declaration, you know, which is essentially all we probably have in this situation, not, not having been in that situation ourselves. And even right. then, like, who's, who's to ad properly adjudicate our own uh, reckonings? But yes, I've met, I, I've, uh, through, he through the hear hearsay of a reliable source, uh, I've certainly heard anecdotally of literally thousands upon thousands uh, of, of folks who absolutely use abortion it's just like nah I gotta, I gotta get rid of this thing um and then there are people who take it seriously um yeah i don't know yeah that's, it's just I, I think there's just a, there's a black i think there's 
there's all manner of people. There's people who do it and have abortion parties. There's people who do it and feel monstrously guilty their whole, their whole lives as, and are like, well, yeah, I murdered my child, but it still was the best. It was, I still have a right to do it as the best decision I made or whatever. So, I mean, it can run. I I absolutely have, have, um, seen the the entire gamut expressed. And there was the guy at the the party I saw last night with the, I heart abortion t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Just straight up, straight up loves it. Straight up loves it. To me, that's like wearing a shirt. Like I love slavery. I fascinating, fascinating to have a conversation with that person. They happen. It happens. <laughs> but loving it, very interesting. That is a very I would be I would be fascinated as to what that heart really means. What what does love mean to you, sir or ma'am? Yeah, and I uh, we didn't get into it too much here, but I don't know. I think the whole language around it, I know, is a whole discussion. Maybe we'll unpack that a bit more next time. Yeah. I've firmly always liked the language pro-choice because that still seems to recognize what I believe is true, which is which is the woman's right to choose. Um, but I, I would not say that I'm pro-abortion. I, I would like to live in a world with fewer abortions. I just don't believe that that's the state's job to mandate that. That's what I think we'll talk about in the next episode, which is uh, if we can determine whether it is unethical, uh, ethical, ethical or not. Is it is it is it appropriate? Is it uh, is it morally appropriate? And then you can kind of move on from there. It's like okay, well, even if it is determined to be unethical, then how do you apply it? Is there any a way to enforce a universally proven ethic without causing more harm than good you know what i mean this is always this is always the cost benefit analysis of any uh any enforcement of anything (laughs) all right all right Uh, i think we did it i I think we did it i love you and we'll see you soon